Hello and welcome to Decoding the Gurus, the podcast where an anthropologist and a psychologist listen to the greatest minds the world has to offer and we try to understand what they're talking about. As always, I'm Matt Brown and with me is Chris Kavanagh. And I have to tell you everybody, Chris and I are deep in the weeds. We are working our way through some pretty impressive sense making, a three-way emergent conversation between Jordan Hall, Daniel Schmachtenberger, and Jamie Wheel. It's sense-making about sense-making, and when we get through with it, it's going to be sense-making cubed. So it's a bit of a mammoth undertaking. So we thought in the meantime, while we're working through that, while we're waist-deep in sense, we might just have a little morsel of content to keep ourselves going. Chris, I believe, has something for us. G'day, Chris. Yes, hello, Matt. We, As Matt says, we are cutting into the sense-making cake, the magnus opus of the sense-making genre with this this freeway sense-making session and it's 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 something to behold i think people will <laughs> will enjoy it it may even well be our first two-parter episode because it it does seem to be a mammoth undertaking from the clipping there's just so much there there's so much <laughs> insight to get through so many metaphors to track and uh, it's, it's a rich, um, it's a rich, rich vein. And yeah, we're still digging. tapestry. You might say tapestry, Matt. You might say tapestry. <laughs> it's a rich tapestry. <laughs> yeah, they're weaving. And when you know, when you think of weavers, you think about looms, right? And the mechanical parts of looms. And, and anyway, yep. <laughs> mm, anyway, we could go on, but let's not. Let's deal with something a little bit more manageable today. Hey, Chris. Yeah. So we we've. We're trying out this thing where we occasionally do little supposedly bite-sized pieces of decoding. You could call it, should you want to, an exercise in guruology. <laughs> it's, uh, you could, you could call it that, you know, uh, you could call it something better. If you have any ideas, please email us. But yeah, we did this already once with the Jordan Peterson short episode which ended up not being a very short episode for us and we also did it when we looked at sam harris's kind of nine minute piece of content about meditation and introspective practices before so it the idea is that we'll we'll take a not a full-length piece of content but rather something that we think illustrates an interesting principle or recurrent rhetorical technique or or just feature that happens in the guru sphere and and you know try to have a nice little analytical cupcake rather than the full three course cake <laughs> <laughs> the sense You've, makers are infecting me. Right? I know they're rubbing off on you. This, this, this the metaphors are coming I, thick and fast. I, I, I can't like think a, like and a, fast like the like a scrum like a scrumptious gravy. I was gonna say, like like treacle. Anyway, so what have you got for us, Chris? What's what's the bite-sized uh, snippet? It's something I haven't heard. I've heard a bit of it, but I know of it. Yes, Matt. So this is a. It's actually from. Rebel Wisdom channel, the one that we took the the main sense-making content that we're looking at, David Fuller's channel, and it's, but it's a recent release from just a couple of weeks ago, 1st of August, called Demons and the Machine, a discussion by J- 
John Vervaki and Jonathan Pajot, somebody who's come up before. Jonathan Pajot is the kind of symbolic theologian sense maker, and John Vervaki is a academic, I believe, a cognitive scientist of some description or philosopher, cognitive philosopher. Anyway, he's an academic and we haven't come across him before. But they're having a little discussion about demons and the machine. Okay? Mm. And the section that I have chosen to focus on is discussing demonology and whether we can take anything useful, potential insights from it. What are demons and so on and so forth. Now, Matt, you haven't heard these clips that I'm about to play, and that's by design, because I wanted to get an immediate reaction without you knowing where things are going to go. So, of course, I'll offer my own thoughts, but I'm just curious to see an immediate reaction. So I kept these clips hidden from you. And I'm, I'm going to start off here. Here's our first one. Introducing the topic a little bit, or at least explaining... I believe this is maybe Pajot's view about demonology. So anyway, here we go. Clip one. Demonology is to understand that evil is transpersonal. It's, it, has, it has a kind of parasitic intelligence yes. and that you can recognize it, you can name it, and you can see the pattern and you can notice when it embodies itself. And then you can see that for most of us, sometimes, most of us will, will let's say, give up to some demon sometimes. Like, I get angry, I do this, I do that. But then sometimes, some people get completely taken over by something, a, a parasitic uh, pattern that they, that they become completely uh, taken over by, and then they're possessed. They're, they're possessed by the demon of anger. And that this is something that, that happens. I think that that's what demonology is. Okay, okay. Matt. So what, right. what is demonology? How would you regurgitate that? I was a bit, at, at first I thought he was talking about being possessed by demons, but then towards the end, he said you could get possessed by anger and mm -hmm. that's being possessed by a demon. So it's a, it's a, an evil pattern. So I guess I'm not sure now. Is he talking, is he talking about demons or is he talking about negative emotions or mm, unhelpful patterns of behavior? Yeah, like psychological states, right? I, I went on the same journey when I heard that. Like, it, it starts off seemingly talking about the kind of traditional conception of demons, but then moving it into, uh, like, a, a modern contemporary takeoff. Well, you know, of course, demons are really just the kind of negative and emotional states that we inhabit. And, mm. like, the, the demon of anger... It, you can understand that. And, and this is actually a pattern that's pretty common when people interpret things in like Western Buddhism, for example. They, they often want to interpret figures like Mara and, and various supernatural things as actually being about mental states that, that can cause you hassle, not actual physical entities. Um, yeah, okay, okay. Well, you know, I, I can't help but relate this to the, the sense-making thing we've been listening to where they certainly love their metaphors but even though they mix them and that they take them probably far too seriously they're pretty clear that they are metaphors right but maybe most of the time <laughs> yeah uh, what i'm not quite sure with this one is whether or not the the demons are uh, purely a metaphor 
Um, well, hmm. that's a good. It's a good question, Matt. Let's see if we can get some more clarity. So I'll I'll play you another clip, and uh, this is more discussion about the nature of demons and, and and what they may or may not be. I understand people would be hesitant to bring back demonology because it has so many weird uh, connotations. But if we can understand it properly, we can see that it is this idea that. There are these patterns that are intelligent and that are have agent agency and that you can recognize them and that, like you said, it's not. It doesn't necessi- it doesn't ne- necessitate conscious actors yeah. all through no. the way that they embody themselves. It doesn't at all. Yes. But you can still see the structure and you can still see it embodying itself. Okay, so it's embodied. Um, uh-huh. it's, in, it's intelligent, but not Agen- necessarily... Agentic. It has agency. It has a, they have a, demons have agency, but they're not necessarily conscious. Right. So, if this is a metaphor, then um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, we're going pretty far with it. We've we've got this is I find this interesting, right? Like that you got the combination of like it it certainly sounds if you say that something has like intention and agency and isn't it can be an embodied thing that it might be an actual a, a force, right? Like a, a it, thing it that be, exists. Well- it might be real. <laughs> it might be real, yeah, I think yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah, but, but then you get... So at least it's not conscious and it's a pattern. It's a pattern, Matt, you know? So, okay. Okay, mm, maybe okay. We're, we're getting closer. So now you, you heard mumblings in the background and John Verveke, who... That's, you know, Jonathan Pajot, he's a religious person. He's, like, theologically inclined. So this is part of the course. But maybe John Verveke can can help like clarify, do some sense making to help make things clearer for us. So let's see what what his take is on all of this. So, yeah, I mean, we've had another discussion about this. You know, we've had two and I, I the idea of, uh, you know, distributed cognition, uh, collective intelligence, and that I, I think the evidence for this is overwhelming. And, you know, uh, Dan Chappie and I published papers on that and, you know, uh, uh, shared agency. And, uh, and, and I th- so I think, I think we're we're what I'm saying is we're because we're breaking out of the individualistic model of cognition. We are now cr- maybe groping or at least moving towards an ontology in which we can now relocate what we used to point at with demons and evil, and not just try and place it within individual moral choice. That's what I'm suggesting is actually the key thing that is happening here. Okay. So okay. so hi that. Did that help? Well, no, not not so much. Like he's saying that th- because there are distributed intelligences, and you can have agency that isn't localized to like a concrete individual, then then these these demons can be can be real, can be intelligent, can have agency. And but are not like are not like a single individual might be manifested in a in the collective intelligence somehow. It's hard to follow. Very hard to follow. 
Yeah, no, of course, some part of this is that we're pulling, I'm pulling out clips from a conversation, but like, I, I think if you were to hear all of the interjoining points, that I'm not so sure that you wouldn't still be arriving at the same point, because like for, for me here, you have Pajot, right, kind of introduced the concept and, and seemed to whiffle around about, about is our demons actual independent real entities? And then Vervaki flies in here and suggests, well, we, we know about collective in intelligence and kind of group dynamics. So, you know, maybe, the, and that's all, you know, that's not controversial. That's all well established now. So I guess we, we can say that that is true, right? And that's, that's what these demon concepts were previously pointing at. Okay. Right. That's, all right. that's, that, that's what you, but, but, the I think part of the issue is like it uh <laughs> it's never quite clear is there a contradiction saying like oh so obviously the demon things were getting things wrong because they just had this partial understanding or whether the argument is that those demon concepts have been validated now, right? Like so if you say demons exist, you can actually just mean collective dynamics exist right and you yeah. don't actually mean like a physical evil demon um, yeah because like the, like the whole idea of a demon like why would you use that word the whole idea of a demon is that it's a <laughs> it's a malevolent evil entity that yeah wants to do harm in the world it's that really doesn't have anything to do with say some sort of emergent social dynamics or systemic dare i say things which no particular person is behind but just yields something that might be very bad just just as just the, the way that people interact with each other but yeah that's that seems like entirely different things no yes yes it could be so let's see if we can get the sense makers to you know help resolve this possible contradiction so here's clip number four people are afraid to talk about these things uh, because like look what I just said I just said I'll say I'll say I'll say it straight out I said there's a demon that is a watcher that is that there's a that's watching over a pattern of reality and that is what is maintaining it together and making its boots work in the world and the, the these people are possessed and are unwilling agents of a demon and they're bringing about this system and it's like okay really and then everybody looks starts to look around and tries to get out of the room right but the, <laughs> but the point and and you know we we don't completely agree on this although we we like uh, like uh, whether or not the, the whether well, well, maybe i could just say one thing so yeah. i think that our long conversation for yeah. hours and hours of conversation has made it possible for me to say that yeah and i think you were able to see that I, that what I mean has is coherent. I'm using a language. I'm trying to yes, bring back yes. a traditional language to explain something which I can then, I could break it down in causalities. I could use other languages if you want, but that that language is, is also possible. Okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, shades of sense making. I'm feeling the, feeling the connections here because they're very, they're very into the idea that there are like different languages and different sort of meaning structures or symbolic structures which can all articulate the same kind of thing so seems like Peugeot there is it's saying the same thing he's saying look we've got this old-fashioned medieval religious language where we're just going to call a spade a spade there is there's a demon there are demons out there that are <laughs> that are possessing people and making them do evil things 
and that language sounds scary to you and you could try to describe it in a more modern sciencey or or rational language if you wanted to but you know it would amount to the same thing have, have i got that right yeah yeah i think that's it and i i the thing that struck me is that Pajot is explaining directly to Vervaki that like because we've had these long in-depth indulgent sense-making conversations like I know that you're not going to dismiss me as a crank when I say that demons are real and we can it like the way I hear it is it's saying look we can dress this up in the flowery academic language and and you know obfuscate nicely because through our discussions we've we find a way that we can talk about literal demons and agentic patterns recreating and 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 there's a way to make everybody comfortable with this which isn't just like straight up religious vocabulary and it it, it sounds to me a little bit like accidentally peeling back the curtain to say well sense making in a way is just adding a veneer of legitimacy to fairly like mm, traditional religious sentiments yeah 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 i gotta say i'm getting strong resonances with the big bumper content that's coming up because throughout the these sense makers also that's jordan hall david schbachterberger and jamie wheel all of them throughout that conversation evidence a very high regard for these uh, pre-modern, ultra-traditional, uh, I'm not sure what the words to describe them, but you're an anthropologist. What, what, what would you call this constellation of, I want to say tribal, but I don't want to get in trouble. You know what I mean? Um, no, that is, I mean, that's yeah. what they're talking about. They explicitly, in the content that we'll cover, they reference classic anthropological terms from famous ethnographies, Victor Turner's like Communitas and Durkheim's collective effervescence and all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah it's, so that's, it's a bit like techno shamanism. Yeah, yeah. So the, those guys stick to the sort of intellectualized, conceptualized, abstractified language pretty much all throughout, right? They don't, they don't do this. So in a way, this Peugeot guy is, <laughs> it's interesting. It's kind of refreshing. You're saying, well, stuff all that. I'm just going to call a spade a spade. I'm going to tell you like it is. There are demons <laughs> possessing people, causing them to do evil things in the world. That's that's yeah, but, what we mean. But actually, the funny thing is when we've seen his content, right? he, he very much uses this obfuscatory two-step where... He will say, well, I'm just going to straight up say, you know, demons exist. And then he will say, and, and of course, by demons, I don't mean little guys with horns jumping out of the lava. I mean patterns of agentic structure, which are, you know, have agency and resonate, but are not conscious in of themselves. And like, it's, mm, yeah. it's so it's, it's kind of like having your cake and eating it. <laughs> there I say that's a good yeah. metaphor. Yeah, I think it is like that. I think it is like that. Like the the rhetorical power comes from the the medieval language, right? Or yeah. those 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 hints or images that have been projected. But then there's an awful lot of obfuscatory, intellectualized cover 
for that. So if anyone wants to criticize you, if you're saying, hey, are you saying that demons are real? No, 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 no. It's much more complicated. Yeah, don't than be that. so coarse. It's much more complicated, much more complicated. And and actually, David Fuller raises this issue of whether John Vervaki is, is comfortable discussing demons in public because of this issue. Well, he did say that the, the, he felt that the, the driver was metaphysical. Right, so they, pointing. he's kind of pointing towards something like that. Okay. Well, that's an interesting question, but you're, you're, you're a professor with tenure, like, you don't talk about kind of metaphysics in this, in this way. Are do you, you feel, do you feel uncomfortable way? about... What do you mean? So be, me, me, well, I, I do talk about... You, you've, got a reputation to pro- you've got a reputation to protect, we don't. That's <laughs> <laughs> basically what I'm saying. <laughs> Um, like, and, and Jonathan's pointing at this, that there is a discomfort with this language, a discomfort with this, but you're kind of, you're pointing in that direction with the talk of kind of distributed co- cognition. Absolutely. There's other people like BJ Campbell now talking about egregores, and it's sort of like overlapping with, with talk of the occult, with, with sort of areas that are not comfortably within academia, for example. I mean, uh, I, I mean, I published three papers on it, so at least some part of it's comfortable in academia and in, 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 in important journals. Um, so I, I think this idea of extended cognition, extended mind, distributed uh, cognition, collective intelligence, hyper objects, hyper agents, um, I think this is all, um, I, like I said, I think it's giving a metaphysics that is free from some of the his, history that Jason, uh, that uh, Jonathan acknowledged, but he he was also he was trying to put it aside. Yeah, I had to I had to look up egregore. Chris. Oh, yeah, egregores. An autonomous psychic entity that is composed of and influencing the thoughts of a group of people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, I know egregores. Well, I mean, egregores are essentially just, <laughs> they're very, very analogous to what they're describing demons as. So David is right to draw that parallel. But yeah, Matt, like, this is the two-step in reverse, right? Where David is like, you know, are you, are you, so are you a bit scared about t- talking about these metaphysical things so directly? And, and John Vervaki is like, no, I've I've published on collective intelligence. It's like weird. <laughs> so, <laughs> so okay. Now we are arguing that collective intelligence is demons. Like it, it, it is metaphysical demons, or it isn't, <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So this is basically these guys are theosophists, aren't they? Like yeah, is- yeah, modern theosophists. Mm, right. I mean, what can What's you do What's philosophy, with that kind of thing? Matt, for philosophy? people who don't know? Oh, God, I can't even define it. Uh, I've got a... I mean, in, in, in my brain, it's this... It's this mystical, obscurantist, pseudo-philosophical religion and spiritualism. But but that's probably not a good definition. That's, that's just pretty good. It, that's not bad. Yeah, okay. it, 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 I think it, like, it rose to prominence in the Victorian era and it was associated with kind of uh, Western people with a kind of Orientalist approach to... You know yeah. religions like, that they were encountering in and in, and, in dab- the East. and dabble- yeah and well and also dabbling with the occult and having seances and things and and having very complex they might be creating symbolic art or something like that with pyramids yeah, I, and interlocking you know, circles and colors. 
Jordan Peterson would love that shit. Like, if he was alive then, he would be in the parlor pushing the Ouija board around and talking about how it's all much more complicated than we can imagine these, the the Brahmin essence and all this. Right? Yeah, so I think that's a perfect analogy that, like, and I'm not even sure that the sense makers would entirely reject that because I think they would argue that the theosophists were trying to grapple with very real issues and, and occult and spiritual realities that they might have done, you know, an imperfect job of it and it might look quaint in, uh, but like the issues that they were raising with the limitations of materialism are very real. And I think all the people in this conversation, David Fuller, Jonathan Paggio and John Vervaki have genuine like concerns about reductive materialism, kind of modern science. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't, I, yeah, I know you're not equating the, the, the whole sense-making group to the sort of occult or theosophy, but what they have in common is that very great skepticism of what the sense-makers call game A, like modern modernity and science and reductionism and, and expecting things to be well-defined and clarity. They're very analytical sort of state of mind where so they share with the theosophists this 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 fascination with 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 the mysterious and the ineffable and the idea that there are uh, there is a hidden world out there in, including demons <laughs> that is that is affecting the, the and and driving what's going on around us but what what do you mean by demons, Matt? It's very complicated. It's not. That's the issue. It's very complicated. It's a. And well, I, I clearly, think... cl clearly, I mean an intelligent <laughs> agent, <laughs> distributed, this distributed pattern, consciousness pattern, pa yeah. a pattern. Yeah, that is that is. Um, no, not conscious, a, Matt. Not conscious. No, 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 not not conscious. But but having a a, a, a distributed effect on on um, a group of people. Yeah, it might yeah. even be a metaphysical reality, some people could say. But yeah, so like, I, I, I just, I, and I think John Vervaki would probably, because he leans more towards the academic side, he would take issue with us saying, you know, he doesn't care about definitions and stuff. I think he would say he, he has quite precise definitions and comes from a philosophical, cognitive point of view. But from all the content I've heard of his, in discussion with other sense makers, at very least, he's very open to talking in dense metaphorical abstractions and this is a this is just a thing that gurus do they just they very much like metaphors and they very much like dancing between metaphorical language and you know and not being unclear about whether they're asserting you know like an independent actual physical yeah. existence theory thing like it's it, yeah. Jordan, that's why Jordan Peterson cannot answer if well, mm. God exists or something like that. It's far too complicated to answer that with a, a simple like, uh, yeah, yes or yes or no answer. Yeah, yeah. No, I was thinking of Jordan Peterson too, and I was, and it's he's got the same. It's the same two step, isn't it? Which is that flitting between the a metaphor, like literally just being a metaphor, which is like a little story or a little mental image to help you conceptualize something else right that's it's nothing more than that but but they take their metaphors so seriously and and it's very ambiguous as to whether or not and they 
they give their metaphors a kind of reality. Like they, they invest so much into them that the logic of the metaphor then becomes a like a proof of the thing that they're arguing is real. And you, it's hard to pull them up on it or, or argue with them because they'll just flip backwards, backwards and forwards between, oh, it's just a metaphor or being actually real. Like I remember Jordan Peterson in that recent video, he said, he said the the best model, you know, in, in one of his recent videos railing against climate, people wanted to do something about climate change. He, he said the best model of the climate is the free market, <laughs> right? Now, it's like, is that literally true? Or is he saying that it's like a metaphor that they share some common element? But yeah, it's never quite clear. Yeah, it's it, exactly never, never quite clear is a pretty accurate way to describe it. And uh, so I have I have a last clip for you, Matt, for this section. And it it's got a little bit of Pajot and a little bit of Vervaki pinging back and forth. So let's let's see where they end up, where this conversation kind of spirals out a little bit. Hit me with it, Chris. Okay. I don't see it as a way to cast it aside. What I I'm not see it aside. as a way to recapture it in a manner that will not be silly and, and superstitious and, and ridiculous. That it will actually, that I think that this moment and your work affords the possibility I, I, of going back into a medieval grimoire, right, and saying, okay, we can now understand this in a better way that the horror movie doesn't understand. I, I, I and that, so give me that caveat, right, okay. and then my answer to you is, given that caveat, I'm happy to talk this way. But I, in addition to demons, I would talk about daemons, right? And I would talk about demoniums. These are all, there's a multiplicity of terms in Greek, and, we, and we've only picked up the one term. So Socrates has his demonium, his divine sign, right? Yeah. Right, and there's the. And there's all. I've, I've been thinking about this so much, and I've been trying to poke at it. There seems to be the, the positive aspect and the negative aspect of these principalities. And interestingly enough, like Saint Gregory talks about the angels of the right hand and the angels of the left hand of God. Mm. Oh my God, Chris, I, I guess I, 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 I've had this realization that these these people are word cells. <laughs> like they are just obsessed with words and and their and their definitions and their meanings and the things that they are hinting at they they invest so so much in them it's it's fascinating and you know the it's it's never quite clear what they mean it's always obscure it's it's opaque and dense and endlessly complex and i'm realizing like that's the point the the opaqueness is the point isn't it like it's it, you it, it's about ma maintaining everything in a state of ambiguity but but with the whole like but keeping this kind of rich tapestry of ideas and i don't know to people i mean when you look at the youtube comments to these things people people love them. people people love, love them it, why love chris it. why why do they like yeah, this well look it's because it's be the same reason that some people enjoy like theological discourse and stuff like that i i i really feel that this is part like this this hinting at metaphysical realities and and basically as pajot says clearly in that clip vervaki your work gives us a way 
to look at this stuff and for it not to be dismissed as silly superstition, but to be reinterpreted as something complex and, you know, important and, and very like that we need to really deeply grapple with what these, you know, demonology manuals mean. And I I love that part where Vervaki says, you know, we're only talking about demons. That's <laughs> that's part of the problem. We haven't even got into demons. <laughs> this is this is just the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Like, none of that actually addresses the fundamental issue. Like, yeah, you could talk about all manner. Like, we haven't even got the banshees yet. And, like, how no. do you, What, what like, about the troglodytes? Yeah. Have we considered the troglodytes? That's a concept that exists. That's a word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, and you can see Pajot, like, just he, he spirals off into out, like, theological stuff, right? The interpretation of some saint about the angels of the left and right hand or whatever. And and it, it it's kind of in a sense making ecosystem. That's all fine because actually that's a sign of being you know more like you and I Matt are reductive materialists. We're not good sense makers because we wouldn't play along with people and we'd want them to clarify you know what how what exactly they're stating and to what degree they are describing something as like a, a, you know, a physical reality versus a metaphorical description. And they would even see asking that question as illustrating your... It's very game A. It's very game A, isn't it? Yeah, your ignorance, right? Like you're, you just want, you're, you're so obsessed by putting things into these boxes mm. and it's much mm. more complicated than that. But, yeah. but like... I, what annoys me a little bit about it is, you know, this allows Pajot to simultaneously endorse the reality of demons to a religious audience and to basically tell people these traditional concepts about demons and stuff, it's all valid and science is validating it and philosophy is validating it. And yeah. then at the same time, if there's a, you know, more scientifically inclined audience that is is responding to it to be like, well, look, this is actually about psychological collective forces and, and patterns of behavior that impact human cognition throughout yeah. time. It's not it's not about, you know, little demons, you know, dancing around in, no, in hell. No, no. We're talking about collective we're talking about collective the function of collective intelligence, just like like price finding in a in a in a free market. You know, that's something that happens in a distributed way and no one person does it. So yeah, that it is having your cake and eating it too. But but Pajot is explicit like like as you said before, Pajot is explicitly you know, very religious, right? He's a he's a theologian. But these guys really are picking up the the project of the medieval scholastics aren't they because yeah they like the the sort of christian the old-fashioned christian would have very much looked down at the kind of primitive you know you know that you know what would they call it the heresies like the lady, of, the, yeah, the interpretation of the lay people right that see that god as a man in the cloud and and demons yeah. as like dangerous creatures right yeah that's right like you know saying that that river is haunted or there's a water sprite or something like that so so they would definitely look down their noses at that kind of thing but rather they dedicate their their lives to 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 doing 
this kind of extremely complicated and dense like justifications and interpretations of Christian scripture, which which included you know exactly the same <laughs> statements about witches and demons and all that stuff, but it was you know it was done in Latin, so it's fine, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So there's a, you know, there's always a way to interpret religious scriptures and traditional concepts in a way which makes them acceptable within a contemporary framework. But to me, it, it's fine to do that. But you should recognize that what you're doing <laughs> is a. Uh, you know, it, it it can be religious apologetics, it can be sophistry, or it can, you know, simply be an exercise in symbolic interpretivism. But but I I, I think that the sense making ecosystem leans into this not just being, you know, like an exercise in discussing fiction, right? It's not yeah. just a book club talking about no. ways that you can interpret, you know, historical texts. That is that yeah. is not it. <laughs> no. I mean, like like you said, um, anyone in the sense-making sphere who who listened to someone like you and me would definitely say that we are t bad actors, that we're deliberately being obtuse. We've got a closed mind. And, and the entire attitude that we have, which is being critical, is, is the antithesis of what they believe in. So their belief... Is in a this this idea of cohesion that they have that, that that a conversation is like is is like a band of jazz musicians riffing off each other and and taking the the stuff that the other person's saying and not attacking it in or, or being reductionist or trying to pin them down but rather picking the ball up and and then you know making another melody with it to to mix my metaphors and and then sort of pass it around and together you create this these this sort of new creative types of meaning and so just just basically supporting your point this is why the sense makers are entirely vulnerable to to what is you know straight up medieval religious thinking because to them it's all ideas these are all it's all the rich tapestry these are just threads that can form part of a a, a greater new understanding of the whole there there is no place for for disagreement really or, or like pinning people down or um, no, you can have disagreement reject it. Well, but, but you can't reject i guess is what no, i'm saying you can't, that's yeah. exactly you cannot reject it has to be like the omega rule which we'll get into in the next episode <laughs> is explicit that you cannot do that and that you must search for the signal to the noise even if the noise is 98 percent <laughs> of the conversation you must focus on the two percent that you know, is not noise. And uh, yeah, so it, it, refusing to play that game just makes you a bad sense maker and an obnoxious person, right? Because you're, you're disrupting the whole collective spirit of sense making. And uh, yeah, it, it, but it does feel that you're also l losing a rather important tool <laughs> and, and an <laughs> important part of science, which is like to be able to say, Right, but that's bullshit. <laughs> like, is there any actual evidence for egregores metaphysically yeah. existing outside yeah. of a, a, you know, a a fanciful metaphor? And, yeah, like, you know, like, oh, actually, actually expecting a yes or no answer. That's that's you know, that's not allowed. 
Like, like, now, like your first question would be, hang on, are you saying this is literally true? Are they real or is it just a metaphor? And if, if they say it's just a metaphor, then you could then say, well, it's a terrible fucking metaphor. <laughs> <'Cause> yeah, yeah. <laughs> given, given the history of like, this is the same thing. Peugeot does the same trick with like witches and, you know, and he basically wants to argue that there's there's important wisdom to be gleaned from medieval books about how to detect and torture witches and put them on trial, right? And that's that's to me that's very sinister because it ignores that like what actually occurred there was due to superstitious reasoning and the false belief that there were metaphysical creatures called witches that people were tortured and put to death. And, and and generally, it was people who, you know, were on the outskirts or unmarried women or people with mental illnesses. And that's why we shouldn't bend over backwards to, you know, interpret these things in harmless, highly abstract ways. Because, no, actually, like, d- belief in demons and witches, it caused harm in the past. It still causes harm around the world today. And, you know, the airy-fairy intellectuals playing around with their abstract concepts. I I can't yeah. help but feel, you know, Alex Jones talks a lot about demons as well. And, you know, the, the, this is a much more intellectualized version of that. But I I do think there is a connective tissue there. Um, yeah. So yeah. that's... Yeah. yeah. Like you say, Chris, I feel... Like there's no obligation on any of us to indulge this kind of thing and take it seriously because it was exactly that kind of fuzzy thinking and that lack of ability to to actually think about things in terms of like observable evidence and applying that critical thinking. Like that was the reason why the, the various courts, ecclesiastical or secular courts in the Middle Ages could put people to death because yeah. somebody's cow stopped giving milk or somebody, yeah. you know, like, like, like it was because they had such a poor handle on evidence-based reasoning, um, which our courts today, you know, our you know, law processes and the various institutions we have, including scientific ones, that are better at. They're um, better. They're not they're perfect, better. I'm not, but they're I'm not better. They're perfect. I'm saying that they're, they're better than the, than the Spanish Inquisition. Yeah, so, you know, you don't indulge it because it, it, it just leads to bad things. Like fuzzy thinking, having a poor grip on what's real and what's not real, what's just in your imagination. You know, it gets people killed. So, screw them. Yeah, yeah. And, that, like, this does not mean theologians aren't allowed to waffle together or sense makers can't record their like podcast conversations no. and you no. know they're like that's fine no. but it, no, it just means just we a- don't have to be nice to them that's all <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah we just we can we can call us me the speed because we don't need to live in this ambiguous peterson-esque wonderland where you're not allowed to say anything isn't that there's no evidence for things existing or that like metaphors are actually sometimes obvious story right rather than <laughs> clarifying so yeah, so this this was just a little, you know, just a little side trip into the sense making ecosystem, and uh, we're we're going to, like we said, we're going to dive in for the full course, the full meaty <laughs> two or forty minute episode of Jordan Hall, Daniel Schmachtenberger, and Jimmy Wheel, and sense making about sense making. Yeah. That's what that episode is about. So, mm, so look forward yeah. to that. 
Look forward to that. It'll be epic. It'll be epic. This is just a taste. This is just a little morsel of an entree of sense. But uh, yeah, the full course will be the real deal. It's just a pattern. It's just a pattern that, you know, it has its kind of own in- intentionality impacting your psychology through these. You just think you're listening on something. The air is vibrating and it's hitting your ears. Your neurons are firing off electrons. Connections are being made. And in a way, isn't that magic? When people talked about magic, is that not magic? What is actually happening here? Magic is real, Matt. Magic is real. Magic is real. The 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 goddess is dancing. Can't wait. It'll be good. Let's do it. Look at over there. Beautiful in our finery. Yes. All <laughs> right. Or or is that an emperor with no clothes? I can't tell. It's one of the two. So um, <laughs> so yes, we'll we'll be back soon with a full course sense making um, meal for you all. And until then, enjoy yourself. Beware yep. of the disc. Note to Jim, keep an eye on those activities and have a good day. Yep, stay clear of any egregores. Oh yeah, those things. Banshees too. Banshees. (laughs) Ciao. So I did a lecture series on Genesis, and I got a lot of it unpacked, but by no means all of it. When God kicks Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, he puts cherubim with flaming swords at the gate to stop human beings from re-entering paradise. I thought, what the hell does that mean, cherubim, and why do they have flaming swords? I don't get that. What is that exactly? And then I found out from Matthew Paggio who wrote a great book on symbolism in Genesis, that cherubim are the supporting monsters of God. It's a very complicated idea. And that they're partly a representation of that which is difficult to fit into conceptual systems. They've also got an angelic or demonic aspect. Take your pick. Why do they have flaming swords? Well, a sword is a symbol of judgment and 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 the separation of the wheat from the chaff. I use a sword to cut away, to cut away and to carve. And a flaming sword is not only that which carves, it's that which burns. And what does it carve away and burn? Well, you want to get into paradise? It carves away everything about you that isn't perfect. And so what does that mean? Okay, well, here's part of what it means. This is a terrible thing. So, You could say that the entire Christian narrative is embedded in that image. Why? Well, let's say that flaming swords are a symbol of death. That seems pretty obvious. Let's say further that they're a symbol of apocalypse and hell. That doesn't seem completely unreasonable. So here's an idea.